It's better to have gifts than receipts. The comedian Tommy Smothers could butcher anything, including scripture. That's not the way scripture is. It's, it's more blessed to give than receive. But for Tommy Smothers, it's better to have gifts than receipts. And I think he was on to something. He was on to the fact that we, we love getting gifts. Who doesn't? Anybody here doesn't like getting gifts? I'd be surprised. Because gifts are, are a blessing to us, and we receive them with thanks. We're grateful for every gift. But what we do with those gifts varies. For instance, I think there are probably some, I, I don't know of this happening, but it possibly could happen that you're given a gift and you just set aside, you never open it. Closest I come to that is junk mail. I kind of look at it and they may have intended it to be a gift, but I don't take the time to even open it. Most of the time, my guess is all the time, we open the gift to kind of see what's in there. Sometimes, the moment we see it, we know this isn't going to work. It's either not going to fit if it's clothing, or it's just not the right item for what you intended. But you're polite about it, but you know it's going back. In fact, my mom would, as we were opening a gift from her, she had this mantra, you know you can always take it back. And she's right, yeah, you can always take it back. Now you can always send it back, but that's more hassle just seems like getting things sent back these days. But anyway, that is an option. The other thing is we can open it up and say, this is a useful gift, but not right now, so I'm gonna put it away for a while. I'll put it in the attic or on a shelf or in the basement for when I need it. For me, it'd be like getting a baseball glove at Christmas here in the Midwest, and you, know, you look outside, it's snowing. It's gonna be a while before you use that mitt, so gets put away until the right weather. But then there are those gifts, and you know those gifts, you open them up, and you've been waiting for this, and you know it's going to get used right away. For me, it might be a book I've really wanted to get to, and I'm done with the last one I'm reading, and right away that's going to get opened up and read. We treat gifts differently depending on just where we're at and how important it is and urgent in our lives. What do we do with the gifts that we get from God? He's given us lots of gifts, and we could list a bunch, even from Scripture, but I think there are two big primary gifts that God takes very personally and wants us to treat them seriously. He takes them personally because they're really himself. He's given us his son. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And as we receive him through faith, we realize he's the gift that keeps on giving eternally. He's the gift that even gives us the second gift, which is his spirit. So God gives us his son. He gives us his spirit. My sense is that even most of us Christians have have opened and become acquainted with the gifts of his son, but I think we're still in process figuring out just what this gift is of the spirit, and that's why we're in this series, is just trying to explore different scriptures, find out who is this person, and how might we put him to use in our lives, because I don't want to 
leave him unopened. I think that would be hurtful to, to God personally. It would be breaking our relationship with him to not open a gift that he's given or to set it on a shelf for some later date. I'll let someone else, maybe another part of the body of Christ, deal with the Holy Spirit, but I won't. Today I want us to look at the first two chapters of Acts. Skip through again some, some verses dealing with the Holy Spirit. And one of my first observations of trekking through these couple chapters is that the same Holy Spirit, the same experience that believers were having with the Holy Spirit is described with five different terms. And they're used almost interchangeably for the same experience. And so I'd like to land on those five, and I think they'll, they'll shed light on the different facets of the Holy Spirit's work with us. So let's first of all look at chapter 1, verse 4, if your Bibles are open, Acts 1, 4. Jesus had his apostles wait in Jerusalem. To wait there, he said, for the promise of the Father. So Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the Father's promise. Old Testament prophets had prophesied about the Holy Spirit's coming. Not only the Messiah's reign, even the Messiah's suffering before he would reign, but also the coming of the Spirit poured out upon God's people, even put in their hearts uh, deep within them. And so these prophecies could be lined up Peter quoted the prophecy from Joel in chapter 2, and we read just a snippet of that. So that was one of quite a few, a handful of prophecies of the Old Testament. Hundreds of years before Christ, God was promising. God the Father was promising the Spirit. Then Jesus said here in Acts 1, he said, this is what you have heard from me. He's saying, now I've, I've told you this promise too. And a couple weeks ago, I shared with you those verses from the final night that Jesus had with his disciples before the cross. He referred to the Holy Spirit again and again, the advocate, the helper, who would come in, in his place and help the disciples live the Christian life and do their work. And so Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit. Even John the Baptist mentioned here in Acts 1, gave hint of, Jesus baptizing us in the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that word in a moment. So all of this promising, this is going to happen. It's almost like the gift was one promised, and we're waiting for this gift to arrive. When I was first married, I promised Deborah, because we were living out on the West Coast, and a lot of our friends would go regularly to Hawaii, I promised her a trip to Hawaii by our 25th anniversary. I figured that was incentive to hang around for a while, you know, put up with me for a few years, and I'm going to get you there. And I thought that's a long shot. I mean, it's just way out there, 25 years. We'd mention it on occasion, but still, I was under the 25, didn't have to, you know, live up to that. When we came here, the first year we were here at Hinsdale Covenant Church was our 25th wedding anniversary, and it was time to deliver. Um, I started making plans, uh, got Deborah involved in it because we had a, a five-year-old we needed to cover bases. We didn't want to 
take her with us. Our other two were in college, so we had that big gap. And so we had some trouble figuring out the home end here. But we set up a delightful week on the island of Kauai, walking the beaches, hiking up to waterfalls, even visiting with some friends that we had from Southern California. Just one of the great weeks of our, our married life. Deborah waited 25 years for me to keep my promise. Um, the people of Israel have been waiting centuries for this one. Is God going to deliver? He said something about the spirit being placed within us. Um, when's that going to happen? It happened on the day of Pentecost after Christ was ascended. So early in the first century, probably around the year 30 A.D. on Pentecost, bam, the spirit's promised gift arrived and things happened. Friends, it wasn't just for those 120, because at the end of the sermon, when we heard it read, Peter said, this promise is for you, your children, he was talking to the people that first Pentecost, and then he said, and for all who are far away, that's you and me, the promise of God's spirit is for all of us. God promises, and God delivers on his promise for sure. The second word I want you to see is in verse 5, and it's the word baptized. Jesus said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And this is a whole different image. You might think of the font up here, and certainly there's a, there's a pouring out of God's Spirit. There's a, an immersing of the person in the Spirit. That whole soaking of God's Spirit is what Jesus is promising here. When I think of baptism, I think it's important that we get the understanding of what the baptism is straight from Scripture. There's, there's really talk of baptism, but what does it mean? Well, in the baptism of the Spirit, there's only one verse in the New Testament that gives some light to it. And it's where Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 says, In the one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. In the one Spirit... We were all baptized into one body. The baptism of the Spirit, the baptism with the Spirit, in the Spirit, is, in my estimation, intended to speak of our oneness. That we're all baptized, all believers in Jesus Christ are baptized in the Holy Spirit and placed in his church. The theme is oneness, one Spirit, one church. If you trust Christ, you're baptized. And that had to start on Pentecost, and it's been carried through all the way through. So we have baptism to oneness as part of the gift. Then in verse 8, we bump into another word, our third word. It's the word power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses throughout the whole world. So now we've got a, a different word. We're talking about power, strength dynamic, and for one purpose, witness. When we think of baptism, we should think oneness, bringing us together as a church. When we think of the power, we should think of witness, our witness to the whole world through word, through deed, taking it to the ends of the earth, the good news about Jesus Christ. And we're going to need some help because the same word for witness is the word for martyr. And all of a sudden, our promotional tour doesn't sound so pleasant. 
Now we've got to sit back and go, well, wait a minute. So sometimes when we're sharing Christ and when we're living for him, it comes with a certain amount of pressure, pain. In many places of our world today, persecution. Just to stand up and say, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ. So to be his witness doesn't always come easy. And we know that even in our own lives. But the Holy Spirit has come to empower the witness of the church. You see, we, we share the Holy Spirit, and we love to share the gifts. And some of my favorite gifts are shared, whether it's a, a puzzle, a game, <clears throat> maybe an event like a concert that we're going to go to. I love shared gifts. But this is a gift not only to share as a family, but a gift to share with the world around us. And that's, that's what's going on in these images of baptism and power. There's a fourth word. It's used over in the second chapter, in verse 4. When speaking of Pentecost, it says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. Other languages. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if, if you get anything from the word filled, it's, it's more internal. Baptism is a, seems a little more of an external image. Now, we're not just soaked in the Spirit. Now, the Spirit is inside us, dwelling within, filling us. And in this case, filling the believers to praise him in the languages that needed to be heard, this first Pentecost. Throughout the New Testament, the filling seems to be a call to likeness, to be like God. And so the baptism brings us into one body. The empowerment sends us out into the whole world with the good news. And the filling makes us more and more like Christ, a lifelong process of becoming like him and speaking like him and doing things and thinking like he did and thought. And so it's that process of, of growing into the faith that's important for us. And the Holy Spirit helps us with all those avenues through these, these different words that are being used here. I'll look at the filling more next week. But I, I'm going to guess that you're getting to a point saying, this is all helpful, Paul, but what difference does it make? What do you want me to do with this? And you've fallen right into the question that's asked at the end of Peter's long sermon, mostly about Jesus. But in 37, Acts 2.37, the crowd is cut to the heart. I don't know if that describes you, but they were cut to the heart and they asked, what should we do? And Peter's answer is great, so I would just like to unpack Peter's answer. I can't improve on it. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. So Peter's saying, take the first gift first. First things first. The first gift is be sure your sins are forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. The word repent is a pretty powerful, loaded word. Repent means to turn your whole life around and get going in the right direction. That takes time. That's a long process, really, for a lot of us. Because we're caught up in this, in this highway of sin, and it's packed, it's jammed, and we're looking for an exit. We need to get off that highway and turn this car around through faith in Christ. We're hoping we can do it as soon as possible, and then 
we kind of pick him up in our life and we're heading in the right direction now. And I think we want, <coughs> excuse me, we want to get over and let him drive because Christ is a, a better driver than we are. But let's start going toward God and away from sin rather than the other way. We're, we're turning this whole thing around. And before long, we, we realize that we also got another passenger. The Holy Spirit is a part of this, this life of mine too. And I need all this help to turn things around and head in the right direction. Repent and be baptized. Even baptism, water baptism, is intended to be a, a picture, uh, a work of what Christ has done through grace for us in causing us to turn from sin, really dead to sin, and alive to die. Turn this thing around. Start heading in the right direction. Take the gift of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Open that up. Delight in it. Get your life turned around. That's, that's the first gift, is Jesus Christ. But then there's a semicolon, and Peter says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's our fifth term. Now he's got a gift of the Holy Spirit. He's the second gift. Jesus comes first. Believe him, and right away, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced from reading the New Testament that every Christian has been given the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not of Christ, is the way the Apostle Paul said it. <clears throat> Believers in Christ have the Holy Spirit. The question is the one we started with. What are you doing with the gift? Is it still wrapped up under the tree? Forgotten? Where did I put that? Or did you open it and say, not right now, I'm too into other things, set the gift aside? Or has the Holy Spirit been allowed to, to do his work, opened up, active in your life, baptizing you into Christ's church worldwide through the centuries, empowering you to, to live for Christ in this world and to be a witness for him? filling you to become more and more like God himself. Um, that's the way we want to treat God's gifts. So I say, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit today. Receive him. Let him do his work in you and through you for the sake of God's kingdom in this world. Let's pray. God, we know that you've given lots of good gifts. All your gifts are amazing. But this morning, we especially celebrate the gift of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, the gift of your spirit who leads us into Christ-like living. So would you give us these gifts? Would you help us to open them up, get to know them, let them do their work in our lives and through us in your world. We want to be your people, filled with your spirit. We pray for that in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. We're building <clears throat> an affirmation. It's in front of you. I'd like us to stand and say this together as we move week by week through this. 
let's start by saying, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, promised by Jesus to be our helper, at work in us to bear fruit unto Christ's likeness, poured out at Pentecost for all believers in Christ. <laughs>